Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List. And welcome to episode 136 of The Weekly List Podcast, which is the second episode in our segments on democracy at risk. And why have we shifted to democracy at risk? Well, we spoke in our last episode about it being very clear that the Republican Party is not going to right itself. Uh, how many folks, including myself, thought after Biden took office in the inauguration that people like Liz Cheney would rise again and the party would become a typical re- political party and not a cult that has based itself on misinformation and conspiracy theories. Uh, that has not happened. Things continue to uh, be very troubling. We spoke in prior episodes about how seven in ten American uh, Republicans, rather, believe that Trump won the election. Well, this week, three in ten Republicans in a poll said they believe Trump will be reinstated as president in August. That's something that we spoke about last. That Sidney Powell, the crazy lawyer, had floated at CPAC. And now that belief has become relatively widely held in the Republican Party, even though it's completely false and has no basis in fact. And that is why we are in this concerning and troubling time. The continued efforts by the Republican Party to deny that the insurrection happened Um, just this week. Uh, 21 House Republicans voted against awarding the Congressional Gold Medal of Honor to the police officers involved in defending their lives on January 6th. So the importance of writing down history, because the Republicans are trying to repaint what happened on January 6th as tourists being in town and not that bad. And let's forget that this was an unprecedented act where A mob tried to overthrow our democracy. Violence in our House and our Senate and nearly hung our vice president at that time. But now Republicans are in the process of efforts to rewrite history. But again, the purpose of this project and this podcast and the list, uh, we will not let that happen. And again, I reference the last photo on the Weekly List website for the section called After in January, is a picture of that mob at our U.S. Capitol. And believe me, it was very real, and we all watched it happen, and we cannot let them white boy history. But this is where we are, folks. We have two sets of facts and increasing evidence as the weeks continue that the Republicans are setting up to make 2020 a dry run for 2022. And so many of us thought that we were, you know, beyond this attempted coup and authoritarianism, but now it looks more like we're in the third inning. 14 states with GOP legislatures have passed measures of voter suppression. And again, folks, that's nothing new with the Republican Party. Uh, This has been going on for, you know, decades, for most of the last century since Black men got the right to vote, that then uh, the Republican Party or or its predecessor were trying to take away those rights. Um, And so that is not new. 
But what is new in these bills, in addition to suppressing the vote, is quite simply they are trying to redetermine how the vote is counted. So the Texas case, we spoke a little bit about that last episode. What would happen in Texas if there was so-called voter fraud, which, mind you, the Republican Party is still basing themselves, 70% of them believe there was voter fraud when there wasn't mass voter fraud. If there is this so-called voter fraud in Texas, under their law, if it went through, the judges in Texas would be the arbiter. So if Biden had won and the GOP legislature said, oh, no, 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 there was fraud here. It would then go to a judge in Texas to decide. And they could overrule the will of the voters. In other states, the GOP legislatures would decide. Imagine that. They're setting up provisions where if there is, again, this non-existent so-called voter fraud, that the Republican legislatures could overturn the, the vote of their own constituents. These are the kind of things that are happening in the light of day. And so many of us are wondering if this is, again, whether 2020 happened, we came in some ways close to an overturn of our election, but what they're doing is trying to take what did work and what didn't work and fix what didn't work ahead of 2024. The Democrats now are in control of the House and Senate. They have a chance and that passed in the House legislation that would take on some of these issues, and it's stalled in the Senate. If the Senate doesn't pass, then these state laws will stand. A.G. Garland came out this week and said he will double the staff in the Department of Justice to pursue litigation against some of these laws, but it won't be enough. So there's a lot of pressure where we sit today myself included, being put on our senators to get their act together and pass something to protect the right to vote. Because what happens? We are a quarter way through this first two-year period of Biden's administration. Uh, If we lose the House and Senate, which is increasingly likely with voter suppression and the ability to overturn results starting in 2022, Uh, then we lose the chance to do anything about this beyond what the DOJ does. So if it sounds kind of dire, it is kind of dire. And people like me and other activists have been calling and emailing and whatever we can with our senators. I met with uh, the staffers for the majority leader, uh, who happens to be one of my two senators, Senator Schumer, and expressed in no uncertain terms that if we don't fix this, we are allowing them to overturn our democracy. And I think that has become, as we discussed last week, excuse me, last episode when it was starting, this has become much more widely embraced and known. And there starts to be now a sense of urgency uh, that there wasn't a couple of weeks. I think that enough of our senators have been hearing from us Uh, that there's a a real sense of concern with the fundamental basis of our democracy. One person, one vote, and those votes get counted and the voters decide, not the GOP legislatures and not Republican judges. (coughs) So that continues. And this week, 
we've had a glimpse of how different things are just to set yourself back because we are this many months we're we're five months into the Biden administration and things feel, you know, better or they did feel better. Um, you know, we are approaching in many states a point where all um, restrictions that were put on due to the coronavirus have been taken away and life is in many ways resuming. People are back at vacation. Uh, people are back at baseball games and hockey playoffs and all the rest. But it still has this feeling of us standing on very fragile ground and this feeling of anxiety rising. And we had the G7 this past week and we started to just, you know, see the comparison of where we were four years ago versus today. And you've realized how absent Trump's voice is without social media. Uh, Facebook decided this week he will not be allowed back on for at least two years from when he was suspended. And then at that point, he still has to prove that he's going to be different and not using the social media platforms for hate and to provoke violence, which is what happened on January 6th. So things feel quiet. You don't hear from him. You just see the Republican actions that make it very clear that this is very much still Trump's party. And this is a cult party that continues to base what they do on this lie, this big lie that the election was stolen from Trump. It's the basis of everything that the Republican Party is currently doing. So um, it, it even got to the point this last week where one of the conservative columnists at the New York Times, Rose Dothot, wrote a column titled, Are We Destined for a Trump Coup in 2024? And the best he could do to defend that we're not is to say, well, it's premature to say that, um, which doesn't lend much comfort premature. <laughs> but that's just, again, this widespread acknowledgement that something is not right here in this moment. For the first time uh, since the Biden administration in the last couple of weeks, we've had major bombshells come out of our news media. Something that I had been lamenting and others have been lamenting and noticing is during the Trump era, our media was so great at breaking these stories and bringing us the truth um, as things, quote, leaked out, as Trump said. But the truth started to come out and they were able to report to us on what was happening. So there's been lots of new bombshells that have come out. So we're starting to get a sense of what Trump was up to in those years. Um, in order to prevent those so-called leaks. Um, we had been talking about how Trump had subpoenaed for the information of reporters uh, at three media companies, the Washington Post, the New York Times, and CNN. We also this week learned, because of reporting, that Trump had also subpoenaed the House Judiciary Committee members, Democrats, uh, Adam Schiff, who was the chair or the, yeah, the chair of that committee, as well as Eric Swalwell. Their families, including one minor, were also subpoenaed. We also learned from reporting that even Trump's White House counsel, Don McGahn, and his wife in February 2018 had their private information subpoenaed. So all of that is coming out. Um, we also know now through reporting that Trump and his staff emailed Jeffrey Rosen, who you'll recall took over for William Barr 
uh, in the days after the election and before inauguration. He was the deputy AG and Barr resigned, and he eventually took over as AG in that window period. But reporting indicated that 10 days before he assumed his role, that he started to be bombarded with information from Trump, Meadows, and other staffers asking him to pursue the big lie and these fake charges. Other reporting has come out, as well as House Oversight Committee emails and and records being released as part of their investigation that indicates it was also something widespread at the DOJ, where they actually had a senior member who was on their side and wanting to have the DOJ be Trump's tool and bring some sort of lawsuit to the Supreme Court about these fake conspiracies, as well as pursue conspiracies at some of the states. But again, these efforts to overturn the election, and it came that close that we needed to have a threat of Trump replacing Rosen with one of his lackeys, where on a Sunday afternoon call, Rosen and another groups of senior staffers said they would all resign in protest, and Trump was talked down from doing that. But then we know in the days later that we had the insurrection. So then that led to just a violent attempt to deal with it through violence. So all of this stuff is coming out. Uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that what has come out as goes beyond even Richard Nixon, that Trump was undermining the rule of law. So as that reporting comes out, it makes us question, where is the accountability? Uh, There's also a widespread feeling now with this anxiety that we worked for four years to take back the House, to take back the Senate, to take back the White House, and therefore have the White House and the President Biden pick an attorney general. And here we are, and nothing has happened. Zero consequences. There are some investigations. The um, DOJ Inspector General will investigate the act of subpoenaing Eric Swalwell and Schiff and, and Democrats. And, you know, that happened under Barr as well as Sessions. So that will be investigated, and the House will hold hearings on that as well, and the Senate. But there have been no consequences. So there's this feeling of helplessness. Also, there's concern with Attorney General Garland. Uh, We started to talk about that in the last episode. You know, since that time, he's continued to side with, I guess the notion is the institution ahead of justice. He will be defending Trump. The DOJ will step in and defend Trump in the E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit. Uh, The DOJ also will defend religious institutions that discriminate against LGBTQ individuals. Uh, And there's a long list of items that we some we talked about last week and, and new ones where it just appears that in this period of time where we have an attorney general, that Garland is really concerned about the institution and is taking no steps of accountability. It's gotten to the point where even off the record, senators are speaking out against it, saying that they're displeased with Garland's not pursuing uh, more, pursuing internally at the DOJ How people let this happen, separation of branches, folks, how the DOJ 
was able to be manipulated as Trump's tool to go after Democrats and the media and how we prevent this from happening again. Nothing has come about and there's a sense of impatience and anxiety around lack of action from the DOJ. Interesting reads this week, Jennifer Taub, who is a, a legal analyst, wrote about how this is the Tylenol moment for Garland. And she said, quote, his legacy and our trust that no one is above the law in America are in peril. So, you know, that is a, a feeling that is more widespread from, I'm no legal expert, didn't go to law school. Plenty of people who did go to law school are really concerned about what is happening here. And the fact that if Garland doesn't put steps into place, we've always talked about through this project that norms need to be codified. If, if measures aren't put into place, this will have been a dry run for the next attorney general appointed by an authoritarian wannabe to continue to spy on members of Congress and our media and other acts. We need to have things put in place to prevent this, which was another article out by Dahlia Litwick, another attorney um, and constitutional law expert who wrote about the prices of no consequences for Trump. Uh, and all of these stories are, are, you know, they're taking the fact that we, if, if we move on and there is some feeling amongst some that we should just move on and, and write things again in the way that they used to be before Trump. But that's not enough. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be measures put in place to ensure this doesn't happen again. Dahlia's piece talks about how Trump tested these new limits. And so we, he knew what he could get away with. And imagine somebody smarter, like a Cruz or a Cotton, running in 2024, learning from the lessons of Trump, what worked and what didn't work, and then being able to arm that and continue with new steps to be more successful at a coup of our democracy. The Boston Globe editorial board wrote a piece making the case for prosecuting Trump saying it's just as Jen said, it's important that we show that nobody in this country is above the law. The Boston Globe editorial board also put out a series called A Treasure Map for an American Tyrant, where in a number of pieces, they are talking about the ways that Trump compromised our democracy from the fact that he refused to turn over his financial records and used the presidency to enrich himself in ways that we don't even know yet. Um, and all the other ways that Trump broke norms that we've been discussing here for four plus years. If we don't address those, they become a norm that somebody else can seize on. So you get the theme here that all these things that are happening concurrently leave our democracy still at risk, even this time later. What has changed in addition to things feeling differently, and a lot of us who are on Facebook where you get reminded, Facebook doesn't know what it's showing you, but it will send you, it will show you like photos from four years ago. Here's a reminder. And somebody sent me a photo from four years ago today on June 16th, where they showed a series of Trump morning tweets 
and the craziness. That is what we woke up to every day for those four years. Yeah, the lies, the conspiracy theories, the breaking of the law, the shattering of norms. And we don't wake up to that now. We wake up to calm and how things felt before Trump. But again, it's this bifurcation of, well, great, we're here now. What happens if we don't address any of these things? And the Republicans take the House and the Senate. We have no ability to do anything. And then we're just waiting out the last two years uh, until we approach what looks like an election. But, you know, as we say in places like Turkey and Russia, they hold elections, but they're not fair elections. So the importance of getting things done. Our place in the world has been restored in many ways. Again, we had the G7 this week. Biden went. Uh, he was seen in photos uh, in a collegial way with our former allies. And of course, there's a level of concern still with our former allies, as there is with all of us. Is this fleeting? Is returning to democracy something that America did for a short time, but only to be undone again? And that concern is expressed out loud, as opposed to Trump, who worked fastidiously to add his Putin friend, <laughs> the Putin puppet Trump, and make it the G8. Well, Putin wasn't there. But Biden did meet with Putin. And what a difference four years makes. You remember four years ago, Trump met with Putin. Putin handed him a soccer ball. Uh, Trump said out loud in front of the media in a joint press conference that he believed Putin over U.S. intelligence, that Putin hadn't interfered in our election. And all of those shocking moments and gaslighting that we endured for those years. Well, that's done. Biden did meet with Putin behind closed doors, held two separate press conferences after Biden addressed the media separately. So we're back to the point of that being normal and our allies appreciating. And you can see the photos and, and how different even their facial expressions are of our NATO allies compared to the cantankerous relationships they had with Trump, with Trump pu pushing the leader of Mondovia aside and, you know, talking about the NATO dues and putting down our allies. Uh, but we all stand on shaky ground. Uh, notably as well, Benjamin Netanyahu was finally taken down as leader in Israel. And his parting words were, this was the, quote, greatest election fraud, end quote, in the history of democracy. So his exit sounds familiar, a lot like the former guy's exit. Uh, so we continue in the world order to have this sort of balance between who's going to win, the authoritarian regimes or democracy? What will prevail? And as the world sees it, it's uncertain where America stands on that. And I have to say, I'm shocked that it's even in America, um, it, unclear where America stands on that. And the concern that so many people are, you know, gone back to their lives and are exhausted from the fight for four years. And again, people are again discussing the rise of Hitler and how his initial efforts to overtake the democracy in Germany, the Bear Putsch, didn't go through, but later he did rise to, to leadership and power. Could that happen in the United States? 
Those are the fears that still live with us. So what happens next? What happens in these next two months of our democracy couldn't be more crucial as the Democrats finish off the summer. There's going to be two major votes coming up, uh, one on voting rights. Uh, there is a way to pass some measures with 50 votes if Democrats can get Schumer and Kirsten Cinema, excuse me, get Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema um, of Arizona on board to protect our democracy. This is again at the core of all with that we do. They also need to start passing legislature uh, and and give a rationale for running again in 2022. And Republican Party continues to inexplicably either be silent on or pursue this big lie that it was a fraudulent election, that Trump will be reinstated in August, uh, that we need measures to protect from what happened before from happening again. Those same themes are continuing. And so will there be more violence in August when Trump doesn't get reinstated? We don't know. But we will be watching these next two months are crucial to our democracy as always. So until next time, signing off, stay safe.